Welcome to the second episode of the Metal Embassy podcast. I'm your host, Metal Chris, and on this episode, I'll be talking to Fawaz Al Shawaf of the grind band Creative Waste that is based out of Saudi Arabia. Fawaz is also known for having booked the first ever above ground heavy metal show in Saudi Arabia all the way back in 2019. In this interview, he talks about being in a metal band in Saudi Arabia, as well as detailing the history of live metal shows there. I've been fascinated with heavy metal bands from the Middle East for years, and I'm excited to present to you the first of hopefully many interviews of bands from this area. This episode's interview was recorded on December 22nd of 2020, and I really can't wait for you all to hear it, so let's get right to it. Today, I've got Fawaz from the Saudi Arabian grind band Creative Waste on via Skype. They put out one of my favorite albums of 2020, and this is really exciting for me to get to talk to them. I've never talked to any band from Saudi Arabia before, so this is pretty cool to me. And uh, It's a short list. Yeah, yeah I know. So, <laughs> so one of the things that is interesting about you guys is you are known for having put on, I believe, the first heavy metal show ever in Saudi Arabia. Is that right? Correct. Uh, official. Like, uh, they were like underground shows, but like officially, publicly, as in, in a commercial space. Yeah, that's it's the first. Yes. So who are the bands that played? I assume Creative Waste played. Yeah, and an upcoming band called Chamal. They play more like Funeral Doom and a solo artist, uh, Medani. Zakari, he's a guitarist. Instrumentals. Uh, yeah, that, that was basically it. There were a lot of bands that were scheduled, but I don't know. They just bailed, like for different reasons. Some had like personal issues. Some people, I don't know. I've booked a few shows myself, and I know how that works. So there's, that's yeah. not different over there. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what year was that? When did that happen? It was near the end of 2019 or like mid 2019. I forgot. Like honestly, I forgot the specific date. But it was in 2019, like probably November, yeah, something like that. What are some of the obstacles you might have in Saudi Arabia for setting up a metal show? Obviously, we've been having them here for decades. Were there things you had to overcome or different rules you had to work around or what? Yeah, basically, you didn't have musical events in general uh, before 2017. Things started to change. And basically, we started hearing about change while we were doing our European tour. 2017, when we went to Obscene Extreme, Czech Republic, played Germany, Poland, uh, Netherlands. Well, we're doing our European tour. That's when we heard things are starting to change back home. Like in the beginning of the tour, I started hearing from my friends. I started getting notifications on WhatsApp about like these new legislations and these new things that are being allowed now. I'm trying to tell people, like, you see how... <laughs> I'm sorry to say this, but you see how like the world is freaking out on 2020? Everything's getting closed down and shut down. Yeah. This is kind of like how we used to live our lives before 2017. In Saudi, it was more or less like minus the masks and the, the disease. It was kind of like that. So many uh, rules. Yeah, uh, you never had shows unless they were underground. And if there were shows, they'd be private. So yeah, basically, we didn't have live shows. Like, we'd have to go to Bahrain, which is a neighboring country, or the UAE. You'd have to travel for music events. That was how life was. Music was not really something that was respected. It was a huge part of the culture, though. Arts are a huge thing here in the Middle East. It's like a weird contradiction. Before, we'd have to do things on the down low. We started doing that in 2014, late 2014. 
early 2015. That's when we started doing the first underground public show. We call it public because uh, the invitation was for anyone who wanted to arrive. And we were kind of smart that we made sure we didn't break any real laws. Because there's no law stipulating that you can't play music. It's like you can, but you can't. It's like you need like a permit, but they're never going to give you the permit. No one ever gets the permit. It's kind of like that. Basically, we found a way around it is make it into like uh, invitations. We didn't charge any money. One of the rules is you can't have foreign males and females in one spot. You have to be like related somehow, like married or something or like your sister. So you can't have a mixed party, basically. So we couldn't invite females. So it was just males only. We called it SA Metal Gig. That was the first one. I still have footage of this, actually. We just didn't charge money. We made sure no one can bring alcohol or because it's illegal. So we didn't break any laws. The government knew about it, for sure. There was a guy who came in, took a look around. He stood out like a sore thumb. He was like wearing the traditional Saudi dress, like full on and like just looking around like suspiciously. He didn't see anything. It wasn't worth his time. He just left. They knew of our activities. They just care. Like, don't make us look bad and nothing's going to happen. So we knew how to play the game. It kept going on like that for a while, up until 2006. That's when we, we were able to do shows in a compound. That was the first time we actually charged money. But it was like a meager price, 20 riyas, which is like $5. Because we were paying rent and we wanted to recoup our losses somehow. We barely broke even, which was good. But after that, other people took notice. There were people from all around. They heard about this. They caught a wind of it. And they saw that there's a huge demand for metal, rock and metal. So new organizers showed up in like Jeddah, Riyadh. And they were charging like crazy prices, like festival prices. It was like insane. It was like $100, $120, sometimes $160. And we knew that was the beginning of the end. We heard stories, I don't know if they're true, but some people like made so much money they bought new cars. And Needless to say, the authorities got more and more involved. They started being crackdowns until finally they arrested two organizers. And uh, one spent almost a year in jail. And the other guy is non-Saudi, so he got deported and blacklisted. And no one dared to do another show after that. That was in late 2008, early 2009. And then 10 years later, the first show happened, basically. We did a show like the old days, and then a few months later, the show in Bohemia happened, which is the first official public live show. Were those early shows, were those actually at some sort of concert venue, or that like at someone's house? No, no, they were like these places you can rent. I wouldn't say they're official halls, but they have halls in them. Like Sometimes they hold weddings there, or like kind of like a ranch, almost. All right. Some of them are like, you know, really fancy. Some of them are just like, obviously, we didn't get the fancy one. <laughs> it got the job done, though. Hey, it doesn't have to be uh, fancy for metal. That's one thing, you know? Yeah, we, we couldn't even if we wanted. <laughs> so this newer one you did in 2019, you were saying, so were women allowed at the shows now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was a cafe. It was like full on, basically. The first time my mom was able to attend the show. It was the first time we played in our hometown, basically. Like 15, uh, nearly 20 years since we formed, the first time my family ever got to see me perform live was two years ago. <laughs> That's cool, though. That's cool they finally got to, you know? 
Yeah, the funny thing is the majority of the attendees were not like the one like my mom does not like listening to our music. Yeah. Uh, our, <laughs> same thing uh, as our relatives. But when they were there, they got caught up in it. Oh, like my mom's like, now I get it. Now I get it. Like, <laughs> this is the thing I'm trying to explain to a lot of people, especially extreme music, metal and extreme. You will not get it just listening to a record, especially if you have never listened to it. If you're not like really curious, you have to see it live to understand it. It's just my take on it. And it seems like a few people have been proving me correct. When they see it live, they just see it in a whole different perspective. Yeah, I think that's very true for a lot of people, too. I took my mom to a show once. She's not a metalhead at all, either. And this is years ago. And she just kind of wanted to, like, get an idea, like, what goes on at these places and, like, whatever, you know, what's it like? And we saw Enslaved, the proggy black metal band from Norway, and Macabre, yeah. Macabre, who's like the serial killer. <laughs> That's the band I really wanted to see the most. And I wanted my mom to see them because they're Took so weird. Took your mom to see Macabre? Yeah, and the opener was Electric Wizard. So, oh, damn. <laughs> so it's quite an eclectic show. And my mom yeah. kind of got like the full gamut, you know, <laughs> of everything. But by the end of it, you know, she kind of enjoyed it. And she really liked Macabre's performance because they told the stories about the different killers between each song yeah, and yeah. stuff. and it, Give you context. And, yeah, yeah. And, and she liked a lot of that. She liked the performance more than the actual music, I think. And she liked the enslaved drummer a lot. She was like, he's a really, really good drummer. I was like, yeah, mom. Like, <laughs> like, they all are. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it was really cool. Yeah. She definitely got a peek into my world that day. I know what you're saying. It's, it's got to be something very similar, I think. Especially with women not being allowed at your show. And finally let your mom actually come and see you. That's got to be something really special. Yeah, and the energy was really good. Honestly, it was like one of the best shows. We had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, it was a lot of pain leading up to it and a lot of stress and a lot of what ifs. And But, I, you know, I learned to, you know, hey, no risk, no reward. So, yeah, a lot of people were like skeptical. A lot of people were like calling me, man, are you sure you want to do this and that and that? When they approached me, it was the people in the store at Bohemia. There was a lady named Usam. She's the one who basically proposed doing the show at first i thought it was like crazy like a crazy proposal to do you know to play like grind in a in a cafe but i'm like you know what that's exactly why i should do it <laughs> and yeah it worked out great yeah i couldn't have been happier with the result a lot of the ogs at the scene that have not been necessarily active they showed up for this show you had people coming from Jeddah, from riyadh you know, Jeddah is almost like an 18 a 16-hour drive. Riyadh wow. is like a four-hour, five-hour drive. So they made the effort. They actually came down to see us. So what town are and, you uh, in then? What town was this in? Khobar. Okay. Khobar is the eastern province. That's where Aramco is. Pretty close to Bahrain. It's the eastern province. I'm actually from Qatif. That's my hometown. Mm-hmm. But Khobar is like 20, like 40-minute drive. Okay. So it's the closest thing to my hometown. And I lived in Khobar for a long time. So, yeah. All right, well, I want to shift and talk about the new album. It's not super new now. It came out in March, but I've been listening to yeah. it a lot during the pandemic. It's definitely been one that I have been blasting while driving around D.C., coming home from work and stuff. So I think oh. my neighbors have heard a bit of it, too. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I wanted to ask is it was about eight years since your previous album, Slaves to Conformity, had come out in uh, 2012. Correct. And so were there delays in releasing this or were there other oh, reasons yeah. that it took this long between the two? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, we're really slow with putting out records, as you can see, mainly because having the right place to record, 
it's a lot of things, having all the members present. I think right now I finally cracked the code. I think I'll be much faster with putting out records now. And also the, the costs, you know, like production costs. Most of the songs on that record were already written like before 2014. 2014, I recorded the demo of the entire album, my brother and I. We hadn't played drums and I played just guitar like, and went through the entire record. Because we usually like to record things and hear them out, see if any part gets boring or whatever. It's a grueling process, but it pays out in the end. Sometimes I wonder if it's worth that much effort, to be honest. Because there were some unnecessary delays, to be frank. It was just a matter of finding the right studio at the right time, the members being present. I even had to get assistance from my friend Bahrain, Omar, who played with us on the tour, filled in for guitar. Killer guitarist, by the way. I had him record half of the guitars on the album because of the logistics, because I'd have to go to Bahrain, come back. It was like the only way to get it done. Like I recorded like half the songs and he recorded the songs I couldn't record. He also uh, finished the bass. I just went in and uh, finished recording the vocals. My brother did go in and finish the, all the drums first, obviously. It just took a long time. It took what? About, it almost took eight years. Like a lot of songs were already written by 2013 or so. One of the main themes, if you will, about the album I noticed seems to be about fighting racism. The songs themselves, but also some of the samples that you use from other sources. I've always had the issue of racism. I think it's a global thing. Everyone can relate to it. It's just like different varying degrees and different ways. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's in your face. We have issues here in, in Saudi. We have like sectarianism. It's not as bad as, a, as, as it is in some other parts, but we have sectarianism, we have uh, tribalism, we have classism, we have also pure uh, racism. We also have people who have the same rhetoric about foreigners. When you get the labor force, by labor I mean like what's considered as cheap labor. Majority of the workforce here that end up getting paid not so well and abused are usually people from the Philippines, South Asia, India, Pakistan, um, Bangladesh. Usually Europeans, when they're hired here, they get paid double what even the locals would get paid. Obviously compensation, but sometimes they really overdo it in certain parts. So it creates some kind of friction, the idea of it not being fair. So yeah, these things, these issues are present. It's getting better, I believe, at least I hope. But I don't think these things can ever go away. I think they'll always be there. It's human psychology is the same from the beginning of existence until now. These things will always be present. There's only just ways to mitigate and lessen the damage. The more you mingle, the more you meet people. That's how you can get rid of that, or at least most of it. Because a lot of these people that have these problems, they usually don't mingle with people from different countries. They don't get to know them and see the similarities. I'm digressing here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right on a lot of that. Talking to people from different cultures is a great way to kind of break down some of those walls. And that's one of the things I'm really trying to do here, too. But I really love the song, The New Apartheid, on your album, Condemned. Probably my favorite on the new album. And right, I, I, you have that cool clip from the American veteran, I think it was in the Army, Mike Prisoner, that's in there. Correct. 
And they call it the Our Real Enemies speech, I believe. And you only use about a paragraph of it. It's, it's actually an excellent speech that I think anyone that's interested in anti-racism and anti-war activism uh, should read it. Read the whole thing. But it was really cool to see that just pop up. And it wasn't like at the beginning of the song or like, you know, closing it out. It was like right in the middle. Got all these awesome <laughs> crushing riffs and blast beats and the band that's popped up. I, I love it, man. I love the way <laughs> I love that song and the way you put that together. <laughs> happy, happy to hear, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just felt like just fit there. I think something else I also try to avoid, I, I try not to put just a sample just because it sounds cool. Like I try to put something that's relevant. It takes time, but it's worth it, I guess. And I mean, that's what racism is, just dehumanizing, convincing yourself that this person is somehow you're, you're superior to them. And it's almost never on merit. It has nothing to do with merit. It's always something that can't be challenged. They try to find something like skin color, for example, because they know it's not something that you can be compared to on merit. In a way, to me, it's like a cowardice thing. You don't compare yourself based on something that someone can do something about, you know? Yeah. yeah. So one thing I wanted to say, Creative Waste has played America at least a couple of times because I know you came to Maryland Death Fest in 2011 and 2014. Do you yes. think you'll ever come to play Death Fest again or come I to the sure US again? I sure hope so, yeah. I mean, uh, we're scheduled for a Death Fest in the UK, the one that we were supposed to play before the pandemic. So hopefully uh, UK Death Fest in 2021, hopefully, in London. It's a really cool lineup. Nuclear Assault are going to be there again. That's funny because a, a lot of the festivals I go, I always end up meeting uh, Dan Liker there. Oh, he's so that's a good really dude, cool. man. I've met him a few times. Yeah, man. he's one of the <laughs> coolest people there is. Man. Meat Spreader, which we also played with 2017. It's, it's a really, really sick lineup. Uh, I need to pull out the poster because, uh, you know, because it's far away. So yeah. you don't really I know. Uh, invest too much in it. But it's uh, hopefully like uh, August, August 21, August 22nd. That's when the festival is supposed to take place, 2021. Definitely really want to come back and play the U.S. as soon as we can. Yeah, it's been years. Like the last time we played the U.S. was, yeah, 2014. That was like the, the mini tour and then Maryland Death Fest. Do you guys ever plan on doing more shows in Saudi Arabia coming up then after the pandemic here? Are you going to bring in bands from other countries by any chance? Honestly, like uh, we're trying. Even though we pulled off the metal show, there's still not many venues or there's not a lot of support. A lot of the effort is always going to cover bands. Local music in general, I, we're working on that. I have one of my friends, his name is Talal Shehel. He's a musician, a, a music director, an, an award-winning one also. He's really trying to push things. So there's more focus on cultivating the local talents and trying to focus more on original material and all that. But because of a lot of agencies here, these uh, new talent agencies, they just look for a quick buck. It's kind of a mess, honestly. So long story short, there's not many places that are hosting or taking risks on metal shows or uh, even anything with distortion but just a few days ago we played a show in khobar in creo media hub with my side project one of my side projects uh, called vorm it's a it's like a hybrid between metal and uh, electronic music it's mostly instrumental and it went great it was a full house so yeah i think we're catching on 
So the infrastructure is still being built. Just because we played a metal show does not mean this is going to be a regular uh, occurring just like that. You have to work for it. You have to do it yourself. So, yep. um, so that's, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. So there's a lot of work to be made. I'm not seeing a lot of new faces, like as in younger uh, people getting into rock or metal or so on, because they don't get exposed to it. Back then, at least it used to be MTV or something. Here, they don't really get to hear about it unless they see a local band. My younger brother, he's 15 years old, been teaching him drums, coaching him. Like He can do blast beats and stuff. So he's like carrying <laughs> awesome. like the younger generation. We met some kids that they just came last year from the U.S. They're also from my hometown. They have a, like a similar story. Our beginning, the name of the band is Gimmicks. They play rock and like indie stuff. I paired them up with my younger brother. They're around the same age. He basically is playing drums with them now. He's in their band. And they're the only young band that I know here. They're the only young band that started around the same age we started. And they have a much better opportunity because back when we started, there was nothing. Yeah. There, were no, there was no support. Right now, at least it's encouraged. Their family members already saw them play live. I had to wait until I was 30-something <laughs> for that to happen. <laughs> the younger generation, that's why like the old ages is, is so important because they're the ones with the energy, man. A lot of older ones are kind of jaded and like too tired and like, yeah, I like this, but you know, the, well, there's a certain know, amount of have... excitement with that kind of youth, you know, everything's yeah, new and exactly. fresh and exciting and exactly. Uh, you need that. That does lead yeah. me into asking what are the bands that got you into metal? Like, how did you become a metalhead in Saudi Arabia? I assume that's not a path everyone takes there musically. It was all over the place, but I would narrow it down. These small seeds planted from video games and movies. And then I finally discovered soundtracks. I remember the Mortal Kombat soundtrack is, is one of the first had ones. Had Napalm Death on it. Yeah. <laughs> it had like Twist the Knife slowly. A lot of yeah. people didn't know that. I didn't even know that until lately, like almost 10 years ago or something. But I knew I liked that scene where Goro was like, uh, and even the... Uh, <laughs> And even like the, the fight scenes, you know, like the drum and bass and like fast techno music. That was like pretty energetic. Like if you switch out those instruments, those melodies are pretty much like metal, basically. Yeah. Uh, they were up-tempo, dark, aggressive. So Mortal Kombat was one. Spawn, the soundtrack was one. It had like Atari Teenage with uh, Slayer. It had Marilyn Manson. It had like Korn. It had like, I don't know, probably Prodigy. I don't know. Uh, Matrix, also another soundtrack. Street Fighter 2, the animated series, at the end it had like uh, corn blind, whatever. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the US in 99, MTV was like playing all these bands Rage Against the Machine, Corn, Deftones, uh, Slipknot. Yeah, the old Headbangers oh, Ball. What was famous? Yeah, it had Metallica. I didn't have MTV too. Me, I was like, I like complete noob. I'm like, what is this? Like distortion. People screaming, yeah, I like this. I like. <laughs> But I always wanted something more. I felt like they could be a bit fat. They could be a bit heavier. You know, they could be more pissed off until I found my way to Cannibal Corpse and uh, Cryptopsy. That's when I'm like, okay, okay, there's more to this. Yeah, like it took a bit. Like, because the first thing I remember thinking when I heard Cannibal Corpse, I'm like, yeah, I love this. You know, I love the instrumentals. I absolutely love the blast beat when I first heard it. It was like, yes, makes sense. Hit everything at the same time really fast. <laughs> You know, like, that's, that's what it sounded to me. But, like, why are the vocals like that, though? I didn't hate it. I just didn't know, like, why is he doing that? Like, screaming made sense to me. Like, primal, but, but like, the, the, the gutturals, like, 
it was Chris Barnes at the time, like uh, staring through the eyes of the dead. That's the first it came on TV. I just heard about Calum, of course. I just heard someone drop their name. Uh, this was in Saudi too. This was after I got back from the U.S. I only got into extreme after going. Like I stayed in the U.S. from '99 to late 2000, and then I went back and kept looking for bands. The internet helped a lot, obviously. So anyway, when I saw Staring Through the Eyes of the Dead, it was the music video on VH1. And I was like, did it, did it, like, uh, <laughs> I know this is like, the first one on the bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is this? <laughs> I couldn't stop listening. And I started uh, like a friend of mine called Kamal Naimi. He's the one who has Deathless Anguish, which we became a part of. It was a one man death metal band. So that's like, another band I'm in. So he gave me this like mixed CD. Like he gave me like Disgorge USA, like all these bands, uh, Lividity, uh, Napalm Death. I don't know, it was like this weird mix of s- so many things. And I just couldn't stop listening to all, all these underground. It was, it was like this whole world was opening up to me. I already had tendencies like toward extreme, like, uh, but that really gave me a direction. What does the future hold for Creative Waste? Do you have any upcoming albums you're working on or thinking touring yeah. or what? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of material, but I have yet to jam out with the rest of the band. Our drummer has issues with his hands. He has TC lesion. So that's keeping him from playing. It has to be something that's worth it for him to play. So we're we're not jamming as much as we used to, but we have plans. I have material that I'm going to work on real soon. The album has been released in like the worst time, but hey, it's been released. That's all I care about. And we have yet to promote it. Granted, we've been playing some of these songs even before, like even European tour, we've been playing like Obedience and Retribution almost like every show. Yeah, new material, and I want to play a lot more live shows. Live shows, that's like the best time I'm having is is when we're touring or playing live. Nothing beats it. I just want to do a lot more playing live. And I'm trying to like push the bar a bit with our music because I felt like there's a lot of things I have yet to explore uh, that I have yet to do and and a part of you wants to get experimental but you don't want to get too experimental that it becomes alienating so i don't know it just needs to feel right so yeah there's a lot of new material coming and we want to play a lot of shows so we're just waiting for the world to uh, allow travel again all right now one thing i wanted to do since this is the metal embassy i like to encourage trade between our cultures so i would like to buy you on Bandcamp, I assume you have a Bandcamp account because I bought your album on Bandcamp. I'll gift you a couple uh, grind albums by local grind bands from DC. So, oh, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard. Have you ever heard of the band No Moss? No Moss. No. Uh, they're they're a great up and coming uh, grind band from here in Washington DC. I thought I would uh, get you one of theirs. I'm gonna say you probably heard a Pig Destroyer before, right? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. That's- the thing that attracted me, like, they used to compare my vocals to J.R. Hayes' old style. I mean, his new style kind of sounds a little bit different, but they used to, like, compare. Uh, I don't think we're, we sound the same, but it's it's ballpark, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a legendary band. Yeah, yeah. They're awesome. They're definitely the biggest grind band from this area. I guess Misery Index is kind of from here, too. Actually, Slaves to Conformity... My brother went into Kevin Talley's studio to record the drums. Oh, nice. And he, yeah, and he's, Kevin Talley lent us his drumming on two songs, Cradle to Grave and Novus Ordo Seclorum. So we're, we're like, actually, like, one of the main bands that we used to, like, listen to a lot 
yeah, Dying Fetus and Misery Index and Figure Story. So like DC bands were like a lot of bands or <laughs> DC bands that we listened to a lot back in the day. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, I will yes. I will send you some of our stuff anyway. I just Definitely, think that's a fun yeah. thing to do that I've been trying to do on this podcast thing, you know, share music both ways. Well, it's been an awesome interview. Thanks a lot. Thank um, you, man. I ha- have fun. Thanks. Yeah, Thank you, you too. This has been a really good one. And again, thanks for being on the Metal Embassy here with me. So have a good Thank one, man. Thank you for having me, man. is brought to you by me, Metal Chris, and DCHeavyMetal.com. I personally record, edit, and produce each episode for your listening pleasure. The Metal Embassy theme and credit music was written, recorded, and produced by Stefan Elie. 
The Metal Embassy logo was made by the Lord of the Logos, Christoph Spotschel. If you have questions, comments, criticism, or suggestions for future episodes, you can email me at dcheavymetal at gmail.com. This episode was recorded in Adobe Audition, and I used an ElectroVoice RE320 microphone. I conducted the interview with Fawaz Al-Shawaf of Creative Waste via Skype on December 22nd of 2020. The song The New Apartheid was used with permission and can be purchased along with the rest of Creative Waste's discography at creativewaste.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening to Metal Embassy, and until next time, keep it metal, everybody.